You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Happy holidays, everyone. Welcome to a holiday edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And just as we're getting started here, uh, some news in our world coming out that uh, the number one prospect on the international top 30 prospects list, Yoelki Cespedes, is expected to sign with the Chicago White Sox when the uh, signing period begins, which is uh, different this year than it has been in the past. It's starting on January 15th instead of July 2nd. We'll dig into that in just a few minutes. We also will talk to Rays prospect Xavier Edwards. Uh, he was uh, number 38 overall pick in the 2018 draft class, which we will take a look at and see how that class is shaping up. We're also going to take a look back at that 2018 class, and we're going to look at some of the high school players from that class who are now top college draft prospects and how they've progressed over the past few years. We're going to look at what people were saying about them then, what we're saying about them now. And we're going to take a look a little bit further back. We're going to look back five years ago and see who was the number one prospect for each team. And we'll wrap up, as usual, by answering your questions in the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, uh, I mentioned the Yoelki Cespedes uh, news that is uh, starting to come out just as we're starting this podcast. We've talked about him on past podcasts. Obviously, uh, the name is very familiar. He is the half-brother of Yoenis uh, Cespedes. He is 23 years old. Uh, I mentioned he's the number one ranked player on our international top 30 prospects list. And sounds like he will be going to the White Sox. Their Cuban pipeline continues. Your thoughts on uh, on Cespedes to the White Sox? You know, they're also supposed to, you know, speaking of that Cuban pipeline, they you know, sign uh, Norge Vera also, who I think is the top ranked pitcher on our international list that Jesse Sanchez put together. Uh, you know, interesting. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about this you know, off air. And uh, I mean, the thing that surprises me a little bit is the reports are that he's going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 million, which seems kind of light for, you know, the number one guy on our list and a a potential five tool player. Um, You know, Jason, you speculated, you know, maybe he, you know, took some kind of discount to be part of that Cuban pipeline. You know, the, the White Sox, you know, are the, the magnet for Cuban players right now. And maybe there's some truth to that, but I, I just would have thought, you know, with all the, the hubbub around this guy that, you know, he would have been a a $4 million guy or something. So I, it seems like a pretty good buy for the White Sox. Yeah. I wonder, you know, we, we sort of talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, uh, in our, in our lead up to recording, you know, just, because the White Sox are known as that pipeline, whether or not maybe he just really wanted to play, you know, f- for an organization that, uh, you know, clearly does a good job of, of finding and signing and developing talent from Cuba. Um, because it does seem like that's below market value. Now, 
I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens with you know the other other players, you know, and and whether maybe the market's a little bit lower this time around um, than it's been previously. But you know, based on 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 the reports that we've seen uh, from from our good friend Jesse Sanchez, you know. This guy has always been able to swing the bat well and run well, uh, and and you know he's kind of added muscle and retooled his swing so there's more power. Uh, so there's a chance to do a lot of a lot of things well. So yeah, we'll have to see what happens, but this could end up being a really nice bargain for the White Sox. And Jim, I know you do the White Sox list. You know, if you if you were to you know not blindly because you know their system well, uh, and I know you they they could use some prospects for that top thirty. Where would you where would you put them in in their top thirty if you had to do it right now? I think I would put him at six. Um, you know, they, they've got four top one hundred guys in, in Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, Nick Madrigal, and Garrett Crochet, and then Jared Kelly, who they was a first round talent who they got in the second round of this year's draft for three million dollars is fifth. I would be inclined to put him sixth between Jared Kelly and ahead of, of other right-handed pitchers, Jonathan Stever and Matthew Thompson. I, I don't think we're, we're looking to put any of these international guys immediately on the top 100. Um, I, I don't think I would put, I, I wouldn't put Yoelki Suspedis on the top 100 right now. Um, so I, I would, I would probably put him one notch behind the top 100 guys and Jared Kelly and, and slide him in there at number six. Yeah, I guess it doesn't happen too often that a guy goes from the international list directly onto the top 100 list, right? Um, You know, a lot of these guys are obviously just 16 years old, but then you have the older Cuban players and and then occasionally uh, you you get your Shohei Otani, um, who, of course, was went from uh, the top of the international list to the top of the top 100 list uh, in an extreme rarity. But thinking back to some past international prospects that jumped right onto the top 100. Obviously, uh, Jason Dominguez, the most recent example, um, and I believe we determined that he debuted higher than any previous 16-year-old international prospect. Isn't that right? I believe that's correct, yeah. and Because the only other one I can remember was Maitan. You know, if you're talking about guys who weren't professionals in Japan or Cuba or something like that, I mean, did we decide that Kevin Maitan was the only you know, international amateur besides Dominguez to jump immediately onto the top 100. I can't think of anyone else who would have fit the, fit the bill. And Dominguez was up higher than my ton. I think, right. I mean, that's just, what yeah, no, he, he was, yeah. but I think those might be the only two guys. Yeah, there we had uh what was it two years ago, three years ago. Um, we had the Mesa brothers sign. Right. But we didn't put Victor Mesa in the top 100. Not immediately, but I th- think I thought he I thought he went on the very end of the list. Maybe not. Maybe not right away. I can't remember if we put him on. I, I know he was on the list the fall, the, like the following. The, the, what would be the beginning of 2019? I'm getting my years confused here now. Um, because uh, he signed what was it October 18? Yes, and he did not go on the top 100 immediately. Then, but, but we had him, I think, at number 99 or 100 at the opening of the 2019 season. So with regard to Cespedes, do you think there's anything to his path to the big leagues that factors into this? I mean, there aren't on the White Sox top prospects list. You have a couple of guys in Mick Rodolfo, uh, Luis Gonzalez, Blake Rutherford, guys kind of middle of the pack. Um, but 
not anyone who seems to be really, you know, banging the door down to uh, take a position in that outfield. Is is Eloy Jimenez going to be able to continue to play the outfield? Uh, if he doesn't break his neck getting caught in a net, um, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I, well, I mean, they you know they just went out and and got Adam Eaton too. I mean, it, it seems like Eloy is headed to DH sooner rather than later. I mean, maybe not full time this season, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say uh, based on what he showed this year um, and the year before, he's a tremendous hitter and not a very good outfielder at all. So yeah, yeah I mean, I think I mean, maybe Eloy is one of those guys who by the time he's 25 or 26 is a full-time DH. Man, that's young. But yeah. he's not good. In the yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. he could theoretically get better, but he's really not very good in the outfield. So the signing period begins on January 15th. Uh, I mentioned Yoelki Cespedes, number one on that list. Um, the list of the top 30 international prospects is at MLBpipeline.com. You can see the entire list there. And Jesse Sanchez will be very busy coming out of the holiday break as we report uh, the signings of all these players when the uh, signing season opens just a couple weeks into the new year. All right, when we come back, Jonathan will be chatting with Rays prospect Xavier Edwards. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. With the 38th selection of the 2018 MLB Draft, the San Diego Padres select Xavier Edwards. Xavier Edwards, who slaps the ball over the head of the first baseman. Paulson, it's down and right for a base hit. Roller comes up to receive, but that's the fourth hit of the day for Xavier Edwards. Next pitch, ground ball up the middle. Valet to his left dives and is unable to get it. Edwards has his fourth hit of the game, four for five. Edwards, the switch hitter, batting right-handed, drives that to the opposite field corner. 
And with Edwards' speed, this could be three. He heads for third as Diaz digs it out, and it's a leadoff triple. That ball is hit hard by Edwards. He turns on it, and it is out of here. A home run for Xavier Edwards, number one on the year, and the Tin Caps lead it three to nothing. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Very pleased to be joined by one of the top prospects in the Rays organization, number four on their list right now, 67 overall, Xavier Edwards. Xavier, thank you for uh, for joining us on the podcast this week. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Let's, uh, you know, let's talk for a minute about what was probably the most bizarre year of baseball you've ever had that you never hope to replicate ever again. But I know that you, you know, you, you spent some time at the alternate site and you went to Instructs. Um, how much do you feel that you, you got out of that and how much do you think you missed, uh, you know, from not having what should have been a normal season of, of reps for you? Um, definitely it's a, a double-edged sword for sure. You know, there's the good and the, the not as good uh, from this year's outside and, you know, what kind of we missed out on with the regular season. Um, I feel like the the positives of, you know, outside and then instructs and all that um, from this year was, you know, we got to see guys in our organization that we usually wouldn't see, you know, for that long. Like I got to face our one through basically 15 prospects like every day for – about a month and a half at Altsite and a lot of pitchers that I'm usually be standing behind in a normal season that I'm finally getting to face and guys, especially me being new to organization, you know, guys that I had faced in a low A and, and guys that hadn't had the chance to face yet. So that was cool, you know, being able to just to see where you stack up and be able to try new things, you know, not necessarily have the pressure of, you know, stats being on the line or anything like that. So um, that was definitely cool. Um, absolutely. I, I, I miss competing. So, you know, competing with fans in the stands and, you know, full crowds and, and playing against guys wearing different uniforms is something that was dearly missed. But, um, you know, I think this was the best that they could have done. And, and definitely it, it was good for me. Yeah. I know for you, you had the added uh, sort of challenge of getting to know a new organization, which normally you would have had, you know, spring training, and then you would have gone out with your set of, you know, 25 guys, you know, maybe a couple times over if you get promoted or, or, or whatever, I would imagine like, because there were so many more guys, maybe that was a benefit too. You know, you got to know more of the organization than you would have if you had just been sent to Montgomery to start the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, alternate site and especially instructs, you know, there's guys from all up, up and down levels from rookie all the way to triple a for alternate site and guys, they've made their big league debut guys that are big leaguers already. So I definitely got to see more of the Rays organization between the last, you know, three and a half months when I was, over in Port Charlotte than I would have in a normal season. You, you, you talked about sort of seeing all the, like the top prospects, but you also saw a lot more veterans, I would imagine, especially at the all You had guys like trying to stay ready for the big leagues, just facing that kind of pitching. Um, the jump to double A, uh, and I'm, I'm just assuming you would have made that, that jump after what you did in, in, in high A last year, so we'll, we'll go with it. But, uh, you know, assuming that you were in double A, that's a huge jump, but how much benefit do you think, even if it wasn't in the pure competitive surroundings, uh, seeing some of these veteran guys who've maybe had big league time, knew how to pitch to big league hitters, uh, how to set up guys, you know, how much were you able to take away from, from that kind of competition? 
I was able to take away a lot, you know, just like you said. I mean, the guys are double, triple A, big league guys, you know, that were injured coming up and down and, and that kind of deal. I, I wouldn't usually get to face that. So it was cool. And, you know, we have the number one organization, you know, number one farm system in baseball. So realistically on paper, like the guys aren't getting much better than the guys that I'm facing, at least in the minor league level. So, you know, being able to face the best of the best on the minor league side from both sides of the ball was huge for me. And I think it'll just catapult me into a big year next year, wherever I, wherever I start the year at. How, how long does it take? And I, I can't imagine there was like one day where you felt, okay, now, now I'm a Ray, but you know, you watch what like the Rays did. They make that deep postseason run. Um, a lot of guys who would come up, you know, through that farm system, uh, there's obviously always organizational pride. Was that like a little, was it weird at all for you? Or did you, you know, were you in there like right away? Like, yep, I'm all in on this. Um, I think I was a little in the middle. Yeah. It's definitely different. Cause uh, you know, I use the analogy. It's like, you know, being the new kid at school, you know, kind of transferring schools is kind of like that. Um, you know, one night I was a Padre and the next night I was a Ray, but it was still in the middle of my off season. And then sure enough, when I think I'm going back into normalcy and I'm going to be at a new team, you know, COVID happens and, you know, we're not playing a regular season. We have this alternate side instructs. So um, I feel like I was in the middle, you know, I was starting to get my footing within the Rays organization, just huge, you know, shout out to the alternate side and, and instructs that makes, made me more comfortable being with the Rays. But, um, you know, at first, you know, I was there for spring training for two weeks and then boom, we're, we're shut down for a few months. And I was like, sheesh, like I've barely been a Ray period. You know? I doesn't even feel like I've been with the Rays at all. So it was definitely good for that, that time being. I would imagine at the, at the very least, you see what they do with young talent. Um, and then and San Diego was doing the same thing. You went from one good farm system to another good farm system. And I've heard you talk about this, but just to see the success they had, I would imagine that gets you even more excited to like get to work, show that you belong and, and, and get up there and, and be part of what's been like fairly consistent success for a team that doesn't have the financial wherewithal to, you know, in a division where you have some, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox of the world. Uh, so the way they've been able to do it as a young player, you must feel like you're in a good spot. For sure. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, they wanted to be in that trade for a reason. And you know, that's the way I have to look at it. You know, I'm putting my best foot forward in, in order to, you know, increase my chances of making a big league as soon as possible. And, uh, you know, with the, this organization, I, I feel like I have a really good shot in making it pretty pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I like that. You know, just like you said, they're not as big as, you know, the Yankees and, and the Red Sox, you know, probably the Dodgers, you know, really big-name teams. But they're having the same success as as any other team in baseball right for now and even the last few years. So, you know, it's definitely motivating to, to want to be there and knowing that I'm only a few steps away. Now, I know that you slid over and played, you've started to play a lot of second base. Do you still think of yourself as a shortstop who plays second, or do you now consider, do you think of yourself as a, as a second baseman? Um, that's funny you asked that. Uh, I, honestly, I, I know the shortstop's still in there. Um, I was over at second, you're right, for a good portion of last year, but I know I could still do it, and I know that if and when I get the chance that I'll be ready to do it. So I've been working on the arm strength to, to get it a tick up so that the, any, any questions or question marks about my arm will, will be subsided and that either second, short, you know, third, wherever they want to put me, uh, I'll be ready for it. You had a pause to think about that one for a second, huh? You, you weren't quite sure. You're like, well, no, I think I'm still a shortstop. Yeah. 
I still got it in there. I know it's been yeah, a while. Listen, I still even, got if, it. even if you play all of your big league career at second, I think if you have the mentality of I'm a shortstop, that's going to make you a better second baseman. For sure. Um, let's talk about your offensive game a little bit. And then I want to talk a little bit about some of the efforts uh, uh, in your community that you, that you, you've been so uh, you've been doing really since, since you were, since you were drafted. Uh, you know, everyone talks about power and launch angle and things like that. And yeah, you almost come from a different era. Um, you know, I'm not saying that you don't impact the baseball, but obviously you're not a guy who's going to hit 40 homers um, and, and getting on base and speed. You don't swing and miss. Um, do you like kind of being an outlier in, in that way? Like you do realize that like there aren't that many guys who do what you can do on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a, a chip on my shoulder, a big chip on my shoulder that, you know, not a lot of guys can do what I do. And that's the way I have to look at it. I know the game might be coming, going in a different direction right now with, you know, a lot of home runs and a lot of strikeouts as a byproduct of that. But, you know, I feel like either way, um, just making a lot of contact will lead to a lot of success. And, and just like you said, I still impact the baseball and I'm working on impacting it more. I'm working on my bat speed and, uh, you know, my exit velocity, you know, quality of contact and the whole deal but um i definitely want to hone in on my contact skills my back to ball skills because i feel like that's that's what translates at the next level i saw you on the network and they had some of the the old school look like you know uh, something that was out of a like a, a rocky movie training video hitting tires and <laughs> uh and, and all that kind of stuff so and i think it's one of the things that people don't realize that just because you're not going to be a home run hitter doesn't mean you can't get stronger you don't want to go up there and have the bat knocked out of your hand you still have to impact the baseball uh you know so when i I hope people like don't get it get it wrong uh, that i'm accusing you of being some sort of punch and judy slap hitter yeah yeah. you know you know who blooping singles and just running that's not it at all like you're not going to last if that's all you can do so that stuff is important you know how much is, is it a balance like you see what those players are doing do you ever have to like remind yourself, all right, yes, I need to get stronger. I can't change who I am as a player, you know, to try to fit into th- this other mold. That isn't me. Uh, yeah. You know, my dad is a testament to that. Um, you know, it's just what I've worked on since I was you know, a little kid. Whenever I first picked up a bat, it's, you know, make contact. That's what it's always been about making quality contact and making a lot of it. So yeah, I, my dad keeps me on the straight and narrow from that aspect. Uh, I know, myself well enough that I know my strengths and, you know, I know what works for me and what works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. I know there's a guys that can hit it a really long way and there's guys that can make a lot of contact and guys that can do both. Um, I think I can do both. You know, maybe not at the clip as some of these bigger guys, you know, these guys that are six, four and that are supposed to do it. But I, you know, I, I believe there's more to hitting a lot more to hitting than just hitting the ball far and uh, having, you know, different, different clubs in, in your back pocket, you know, being have different swings for different pitchers and you know different pitches. So I think there's a lot more hitting, and I think I understand that. As, as Avery, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the uh, the XE nine baseball camp uh, in in your own backyard in Broward County. It's coming up December 28th and 29th uh, at your old high school, North Broward Prep. Uh, this is something you've been doing for for a while. Uh, I know you're able to get a lot of current former big leaguers who come um this has been such a weird year just in terms of being able to 
interact with other humans directly, you know, so how, how much are you looking forward to being able to like be with the kids safely, of course, um, and, and continue to do this, this work that is, is obviously uh, a major part of who you are as a professional. I think I'm more excited about it this year, honestly, than I have been the last two years. You know, my first year, I was just kind of getting my feet wet. And second year, I was, you know, getting a better understanding of it. But this year, since, you know, COVID and all the uncertainty that this year has, has you know, handed us so far, um, I'm excited to get out there. This year, I have the biggest, the biggest crowd yet, you know, most kids. Um, I went from 18 to 55 last year, and this year I have 85 kids. And, uh, you know, it filled up quickly. And we had to, you know, let some people know that it was already full. So um, I'm excited for that aspect to be able to see the young talent that's in, you know, Palm Beach, South Florida, you know, I'm looking forward to that. And just being able to give back, I'm sure a lot of families have been affected by this year, um, you know, financially and in a lot of other ways. So I'm happy to be able to, to just help out, help them out during the holiday times and give them a free camp. There was last thing uh, I wanted to ask you is something that uh, I saw you say said about about doing the camp that is important to you. It's not you know being with kids in general is great, imparting skills, but l- giving kids uh, a, a role model that looks like them. Um, talk a little bit about the importance of that. You know, as someone as you've made your way up along the game, you know, in the game, I would imagine that any locker room or clubhouse or dugout you've been in, sometimes maybe you're the only black player there. Um, So just how much of a important piece is that for you doing this sort of thing? So people, you know, so kids see, I think as you put it, face that looks like them out there on the field. That's, that's probably one of the biggest parts about it. Um, the, the number of black and African-American players and professional baseball is really low. I mean, it's, it's always been fairly low, but it's, it's really low. And it's a shame because, you know, there's a lot of athletic kids that just go to other sports and baseball, you know, it's a different kind of road that you have to take to get to this level. But I believe that there's a lot of kids that are out there that can do it. And, you know, there's a lot less injury in this sport. You know, it's, it's a beautiful game. And the thing about it is that you don't have to be, you don't have to be the biggest, you don't have to be the strongest, Like you don't have to be these things that you, you know, have to be six, eight or above usually in basketball. If you want to be, you know, one of the best players in football, you got to be one of the strongest guys on the field. If you want to be one of the best, unless you could be the quarterback, like baseball, you don't need any of those things. You need to understand how to play the game the right way. And you have to put the time in and your God-given talent and how much effort you put out is what you're going to get out of it. So uh, I love that about this game. I love being able to, you know, pass that along to the kids. You know, you don't have to be the biggest. You don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be the fastest. But you could be just as good or if not better than all the guys that you want to be. So I think that's a huge part. And for them to see it for me and see it firsthand, I hope that it inspires a lot of families in general, but especially – black and African-American families to you know, get their kids started in baseball, get them started early, let them pick the ball up and see where it takes them. Xavier, we, we could dig into this for, for a really long time. So uh, why don't we have it be a to be continued and we'll have you back on the podcast another time. So maybe we can sort of talk about some of those, uh, some of those issues a little more deeply. Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Xavier. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks to Xavier Edwards for joining us here on the MLB pipeline podcast. Uh, Guys, you know, he uh, 
clearly a, an elite prospect, top 100 prospect. Um, with that trade to the Rays, though, joining like a pretty crowded middle infield crop there, extremely talented with Wander Franco, of course, being the number one overall prospect in baseball. And if you look at their list, uh, the number three player on their list, Vidal Ruhan, listed as second baseman shortstop, and Xavier Edwards also listed as second base shortstop. How do you guys see that uh, panning out in the long run? That's that's a good question. You know, he went from one, you know, stacked system to another. Uh, and this one, you know, especially up the middle. And he and Bruhan are kind of similar players, um, you know, just in terms of the, the speed playing. Uh, my favorite answer of Edwards for me was when I asked him about whether he still thinks of himself as a shortstop, even though he started playing a lot of second. And he, he still is ready to play shortstop, which I think is the right attitude to have. But I do wonder if they start moving a guy out to the outfield. Um, I don't think either of those guys really profiles as a third baseman. Uh, you know, or, or maybe just have a bunch of guys that can move around a lot. Uh, you know, he's such a premium athlete uh, and has such a good head on his shoulders that I think he'll do whatever, whatever is needed. Uh, it's just like, it's such a, it's just a weird situation for him uh, because he's not played for them yet, really. Um, you know, he spent a full year just getting to know the organization without playing real baseball. Um, so, I don't know how much that will set him back, uh, whether that will help him, you know, coming off a year where he would have been playing double A. So I'm not exactly sure where he is, um, you know, in, in, in terms of that. Yeah. I mean, and and look, we're talking about the Rays who, you know, have never had, you know, they're always at the bottom in terms of resources and payroll and, and their MO has been as big leaguers, get expensive they ship them out and replace them with cheaper younger players so i mean right now you know brandon Lau was their best everyday player last year in terms of his offense and willie adamas was really good at shortstop but you know if two years from now one of those guys or both of those guys is too expensive you know opportunity seems to arise i i think like bruhan's the guy who's a little squeezed because i think bruhan's going to be close to being ready before there's a spot Whereas I think with Edwards, because he's still, you know, has, I, I think, probably at least a year and a half in the minors ahead of him, by the time he's ready, you know, th- there may be a, a, an opening that has been created. So Edwards, the number 38 overall draft pick in the 2018 draft, he's now the number 67 ranked player in baseball, prospect in baseball. When we come back, we're going to take a closer look at that 2018 draft class, and we are going to redraft the top we'll see 10 picks we'll see how it goes how the timing goes we'll do that right after this this past year has shown us that without your health you have nothing if you're not well you can't work look after yourself or take care of your family you can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build that's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you. 
based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are talking, we just talked to Xavier Edwards. Now we're going to talk a little bit about him uh, in relation to the rest of the 2018 draft class. All right, guys, Pipeline Podcast Pop Quiz. I know you love this. How many players from the 2018 draft are ranked ahead of Xavier Edwards? who was the number 38 overall pick. Well, I know the answer because I wrote them all down preparing oh, for our draft. Research. So, yeah. I, so, I do not know the answer. I, 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 when, when you got, when we were talking about Xavier Edwards, I was, I was mulling that. So I actually looked, so I, I can give you the answer, but uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to claim I, that I just came up with it. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I figured Jim would know the answer. I stopped paying attention halfway through the question. All right. What is 12? What is 12? <laughs> that is correct. How about how many players taken ahead of him were ranked higher? You have that too, Jim? No, I don't. Um, how many I, players I, taken ahead of him were ranked ahead of him? Is that the question? No. How many players taken ahead of him are currently ranked higher than him on the top 100 prospects list? So they still have to be prospects. Yes. Three so that doesn't, that doesn't three count like an Alec Baum. Exactly. Three have graduated. Uh, Alec Baum, Nico Horner, Brady Singer. Right. One, two. Buzz. You what is 10? I think it's nine. I, I had to because well, he, he, he got drafted ahead of Alec Thomas and Tarek Skubal, right? Yes, he did. And who else? Who would be the other one? Josiah Gray. There you go. That leaves nine that were drafted ahead of him, does it not? Correct. Okay. I thought you said ten. I know. I, I just I guessed wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, uh, the 2018 draft class is the uh, most represented class in the top 100 prospects list. Huh. Who's, who's the oldest draft class represented? Is there like a high school guy from 14 or 15 on there? There is. There's one. There's one player from the 2014 class. Wow. High school? It's got to be. Yeah. We don't have anyone in the top 100 from college 2014. I would be 27 years old. Uh, Injuries. Think injuries. Uh, Did did not play this year. Would have been in the big leagues this year. Oh, is it Michael Kopech? It is Michael Kopech. Yeah. And there are four players from the 2015 class in the top 100 prospects list, but 19 from the 2018 class. So Edwards went number 38 overall. He's now number 67 overall. Uh, Looking at that draft class, if you were going to do it again, um, how would they go now if you were going to do this draft? Edwards has clearly established himself as – a better prospect than several of the players who were taken in front of him. But looking at the looking at the draft class, 
from 2018. Casey Mize, number one overall, Joey Bart. Alec Bohm, number three to the Phillies. Nick Madrigal, number four to the White Sox. Jonathan India, number five to the Reds. Jared Kelnick, number six to the Mets. Ryan Weathers, number seven to the Padres. Carter Stewart, number eight to the Braves. Kyler Murray, number nine to the A's. Travis Swaggerty, number 10 to the Pirates. So a couple guys there that uh, not playing uh, baseball, at least in the States. Uh, the case for Carter Stewart and then Kyler Murray, of course, uh, playing in the States, but not baseball. <laughs> um, you don't know. He, he could be playing baseball on the side, maybe his own free time. You don't know that, Jason. Yeah, he, he's, he has uh, indicated that he would like to be playing. He seems to be pretty good at the football thing. Seems to be. Yeah. Rattle off the, the rest of the top 20 real quick. The top 20 picks. Grayson Rodriguez, Jordan Groshans, Connor Scott, Logan Gilbert, Cole Wynn, Matthew Liebertor, Jordan Adams, Brady Singer, Nolan Gorman, Trevor Larned. So kind of a mixed bag of guys who have already been in the big leagues, um, have exhausted their rookie eligibility, some of them. Some guys that you just have not heard much from at all. Some of the high school guys, I guess. Um, several players who are on the top 100. Well, let's go through this and see who you guys would take if you were doing the 2018 draft over now. Uh, we did not establish who was going to make the first pick, did we? We did not. Did you guys do that no. when I wasn't listening? No. Uh, all right. Virtual coin flip. Uh, Jonathan, you want to call it? Heads. It was heads. Jonathan gets the first overall pick in the 2018 redraft. And are we going back and forth here? We're just alternating. Did you actually flip a coin there? I, I, we... I mentally flipped a coin. Okay. So I have number one pick. All right. Well, just because I want to mix things up a little bit. I have no reason to think that Casey Mize isn't going to be really good. Uh, so I, I don't think there'd be a problem taking him number one. Uh, but I am going to take Jared Kelnick number one. That's where I thought you might be going with that when you said you were. I also would have taken Jared Kelnick number one. Wow. Jim and I agree. Um, yeah, just, I mean, and it's this is an interesting thing because, as you said, some guys have, have been in the big leagues, are, you know, some, you know, somewhat established themselves, look like good players, and some haven't gotten there. But I think his combination of, you know, like he's very close as a high schooler and he's, you know, got all the tools and they're very loud. Um, so that that's why I would go in that direction. All right. And Jim, you said that you would have made the same pick, but having him swiped from you in the number <laughs> one spot, who do you take at number two? Um, I'll take Casey Mize at number two. I was actually talking to a pro scout about Casey Mize and, and he was not bagging on Casey Mize, but saying how, you know, the, the various analytics were not very good. Um, from his debut, and I kind of countered with, I, I just, I'm not reading too much in anybody's debut this year. There, there were a lot of guys who had rough debuts, and I, and I just, you know, we talked about this on the podcast all summer. I, I just don't think, the, I mean, we know it wasn't a normal year, but just the, 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 you know, in the past, you would go from the minors where you were having some success and proving yourself against AAA guys or AA guys, maybe some in some cases, and seeing what works and seeing what does, and getting feedback in actual games. And this year it was like, well, you're going from alternate camp where you're not really doing any, like you're, you're kind of doing these pseudo games, but they're not real games. And hey, bam, you're in the big leagues. Like, like I think the guy who suffered the most 
might have been Joe Adele, who had very little, like, like Casey Mize, had very little experience in the upper minors, and he got thrust into the big leagues. So I'll still stick with Casey Mize um, at number two here. Um, I, I just think the combination of stuff and command, like the thing that, that struck me when I think I watched three of his starts this year, three of his seven starts is he just did the command wasn't there. Like you expect with Casey Mize. I mean, that, that, that's the separator for him. That's, that's a big part of the reason he went number one, but like he wasn't commanding his fastball. He wasn't getting ahead in the count. It wasn't setting up the splitter as well. And so even though the debut was not great by any means, I just I'm giving everybody a mulligan uh, rookies who tried to debut in 2020, giving everybody a mulligan. So I, I'll still take Casey Mize number two. And, and I agree with Jonathan. Like I said, I mean, Kelnick, I just think this guy, you know, it's, it's a little easier to take the hitter over the pitcher. And I think I think Kelnick's going to be a potential 2020 center fielder who hits for a high average, uh, you know, very bullish on Jerry Kelnick. All right. So Kelnick and Mize off the board. Jonathan, you're up at pick number three. Well, I think I'm going to sort of go according to chalk and take uh, take Joey Bart, who was the number two pick, as you uh, rattled off uh, back in 2018. Uh, you know, made it up to the big leagues. You know, didn't hit a ton, but I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, still is a very good all around catching prospect. Um, you know, and to, to be able to have a sort of cornerstone player at a premium position where it's very hard to find, uh, you know, very good players. Uh, to me, he still uh, makes the most sense as the, as the next guy to come off the board. Yeah. And John, I mean, what I was saying you know, about, you know, my, I mean, it applies to Joey Bart too. I mean, Joey Bart had 79 at bats in double a, that, that was his upper level minors experience. Right. When he and, was, and injury. I mean, a yeah. bunch of injuries, too. So he's yeah. missed time. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, he only had 560 or 517 at bats as a pro before he was asked to jump into the big leagues. And he did a nice job defensively. I mean, the strikeout to walk ratio was kind of crazy. But um, I, again, I, I just don't think you can judge these guys like it was a normal year. And I'll just uh, I, I will continue. I, I will I, I will let you pass the chalk baton to me <laughs> and I, I will take Alec Bohm. So we, we, we've now picked you know, picks one, two, and three in the same order at two, three, and four, you know, boom, you know, spectacular debut for the Phillies. If he'd been up for the entire year, perhaps he would have been the rookie of the year. He finished second. Uh, you know, this guy's going to, you know, he's hit for power. He's hit for average, you know, pretty much everywhere he's been in pro ball, you know, his de- with the exception of his debut when he was, he was battling an injury, you know, wasn't hundred percent. Um, you know, I, I still think he's probably more first baseman than third baseman in the long run. I'm not convinced he's a third baseman defensively, but I, I just think this guy's going to put up big offensive numbers. Um, you know, and he only had 238 at bats, uh, you know, above a ball, uh, when he jumped to the big leagues, but I, I just think he's definitely going to hit. Um, so I, I will take Alec, Alec Bohm at, at number four. I'll, I'll be curious if you continue, I'm, I'm going to say you will not, but perhaps you will continue the chalk. But I, I will say I'm not projecting you to go chalk here at number five. I am not going to go chalk. Chalk would be Nick Madrigal, who I still like, and you know, but I, I would not take him that high. Uh, and I'm weighing my options here, um, hemming and hawing. Before. I think you're going to Arizona. I, I, I'm projecting Jonathan Maya going to Arizona, perhaps with back-to-back picks. That's in my mock 2018 draft. Going to Arizona. I... I don't even follow what you mean by that. Okay, we'll see. A little ping pong. Oh, uh, I see. I am not. 
<laughs> I do love him. Him, um, it's two of them. So, so now well, are you going to confess? Wait, wait, wait. If I can it for which one wait, you don't like? Wait, wait. It, can I take both of them with one pick? No, I'm just saying you yeah, might get one back to back picks. But you, you said you love him. So oh, one I of those guys it. now is wondering. Why does Jonathan not love me? We thought we were friends. That's fine. I would so of Terrible. the two Arizona high schoolers that you're referring to, uh, one is Matthew Libertor, the left-handed pitcher. The other is Nolan Gorman, the high school third, you know, the the third baseman. Um, I would, in, if picking fifth, I would favor the arm over the bat there. However, I'm actually going to take a high school right-hander and take Poor Grayson Nolan Rodriguez. Gorman. Poor Nolan Gorman. Yeah, I well, I thought you were about to mix it up a little bit and kind of go off the top 100 ranking order. Um, talking about Gorman and, and Libertor, both ranked considerably lower than, or a little bit lower than uh, Grayson Rodriguez on the top 100 list. But uh, that does follow suit in terms of top 100 ranking. That is top 100 truck. I'm not looking at the top 100 list, so I didn't even realize that. Do you feel like Rodriguez is is kind of under the radar for being ranked as highly as he is a little bit. I think, I, I think, uh, you know, because he's a high school guy and especially because of this last year, but, uh, and, and maybe because I, you know, oversee the, the Orioles top 30 list, which is put together very well by our beat writer, Joe Trezza, you know, so I did, you know, the alt camp report and instructs and things like that. And he was throwing, extremely well uh continues to take steps forward with his overall command and the stuff is is already there we saw it and uh uh you know so i i think you know he the the combination of of size stuff and feel is very exciting to me so i think he is a little kind of underrated uh or not talked about enough and when you talk about the top uh pitching prospects and some of that may be just because he's not played at any kind of upper level yet. And then this year got, got washed away. Yeah. I was going to say on the top 100, he's the highest ranked pitcher who is not pitched above low A to this point, not excluding the guys out of this year's draft who didn't get the opportunity. So I think that's probably why he is maybe, maybe under the radar a little bit. All right, Jim, you're up at number six. Um, The Mets back in 2018, took Jared Kelnick and somewhat famously, infamously traded him to the Mariners. <laughs> Who are they going to get now? Would you have first, would you have taken Grayson Rodriguez here? If, if Jonathan hadn't taken him at five? No, I, I would not have taken. He's a fine pick, but he would not have been You're getting your player here. I'm, I'm getting my player. What does the Mayo mock draft have going at number six? Here? No, I don't have it. Just jeez, You're no fun. Okay. I will take uh, Tristan Costas here. At number six, um, allowing Jonathan to still make it up to his his Arizona high schoolers with his. I did not see that coming. I did um, not see that coming too. That would not have been my uh, my my mock had I done a mock. You just blew up your non-existent mock. Mock, That's yeah. Right. Like like Harold's asking you at the desk right now. Like, well, why is Cal's taking Tristan Casas? Like he's he's seventy first on the top one hundred. I I just think if we again we didn't have a twenty twenty season, I think. I like guys, not that this is any, you know, grand revelation, who can hit for average and power. Those guys are usually pretty good players. And I think Tristan Casas had a, a, a kind of pro debut or full, first full season that flew under the radar where he was one of the best power hitters in low class A as a 19-year-old. Um, and I think had we had a 2020 season, he would have emerged as one of the very best 
power prospects in baseball, and he hits for average. He draws walks. He plays very good first base. Not that the arm matters, but he has a plus arm at first base. So he's not just a kind of one-dimensional masher at first base. So I'm going for offensive upside, and I'm taking Tristan Casas, I guess, at number six. Wow. All right. That's Tristan Casas to the Mets at number six. The Padres in 2018 took high school lefty Ryan Weathers, who made his professional or his uh, major league debut in the postseason this year. Um, Jonathan, who do you take at number seven for the Padres? Well, I am going to take a high school left-hander, but not that one, not Ryan Weathers. Um, I will take Matthew Libertor. Uh, That's why so I had I, my mock. That, that was yeah. the Callis mock. You couldn't, have, you couldn't have had him in two spots at once for the Callis mock. You had me well, taking I mean, the my, I'm, I'm reformulating the mock. Like if I were at the oh, desk, Harold go. asked me where I thought you were going with this pick. I we should do that. We should do that when we have our dueling mocks for the draft. We, we just we can adjust as the on draft the fly, goes on. Yes. Just to, we'll update them on the web. We'll get, Jason, we'll can them, you make that happen? Can you update we'll our them, mocks? We will get them all right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've always loved Matthew Libertor. I thought he should have gone in the top 10 in, in the draft class. Uh, it, uh, it was a strange development that he ended up dropping to 16 to the Rays who have since traded him to the Cardinals. And so I'm, you know, I guess I'm not going chalk here on the top 100 because Nolan Gorman, the other Arizona kid that uh, you mentioned uh, is, is ranked ahead of him. I would happily take him. And, uh, if he's, if he's around at, uh, pick nine, then I, I might, I might just do that. But for now I'll take Libertor against size stuff, uh, feel for pitching, uh, yep, I'm all in. All right. And who do the Braves get at number eight? They took Carter Stewart. Uh, back <laughs> Can I go Carter Stewart? Well, I guess you could. Sure. Um, I'm not going to, um, but <laughs> I'm going to take uh, Logan Gilbert at yeah. number eight. Um, you know, we've talked about him a few times and geez, it seems like it was about 12 years ago, but it was actually when the pandemic blew up spring training, I interviewed Logan Gilbert for a Q&A right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, but, um, you know, he, he fell in the draft, you know, in the Cape Cod League the summer before the draft. He looked awesome and he looked like he was going to go be like a top five pick. Like like his stuff was that good. And he just he had mono. His, you know, his stuff just really, you know, wasn't the same for most of the spring. And guys didn't see him as well. He got it kind of compared to the Logan Gilbert from the summer before. And he wound up sliding um, to the 14th overall pick. And I actually think he's flown under the radar a little bit too, because he didn't, the the Mariners gave him that summer off. And then, I mean, we have him ranked pretty high, you know, number 35 in the top 100, but I mean, he was spectacular. He he came out, he made it to double A in his first full season at a 2.13 ERA, 165 strikeouts, 33 walks, 198 opponent average. Um, He just had a spectacular year. Um, And, I think if he continued that pace, he would have been in the big leagues this year if we'd had a normal season. So I'm Agreed. I'm happy to get Logan Gilbert here at at number eight uh, right now. So I'm, I'm happy with that pick. All right. And number nine, the A's in 2018 took Kyler Murray. I don't think you'll be repeating that pick for Oakland. Jonathan, who are you taking at number nine? I, I will not be, be taking – have you guys seen the uh... – from the Heisman commercial ads, him and Tim Tebow in the car together. Have you seen that commercial? I just yes. find it funny that like one of those guys is 
playing professional baseball and, and it's not Kyler Murray. Um, so this does make it a little bit easier for me because Logan Gilbert was the other guy I wanted. And I, and I agree with what you said. Uh, I think he would have been in the big leagues this year and he's going to be really, really good. Um, I think better than people expected, even though we do have him ranked pretty highly. I mean, the stuff is nasty and took a big step forward since, since he's been a pro. So I will go ahead and take Nolan Gorman, uh, the aforementioned third baseman uh, from the Arizona high school ranks. Uh, the Cardinals took him 19th overall. Uh, a little concerned about the swing and miss, uh, but I think he's going to figure it out. Ridiculous amount of power. Going to be a very good third baseman. Um, I was kind of going back and forth between him and Brady Singer with this last pick. Um, but I don't think Jim's going to take Brady Singer at 10. That's my guess. What, what are you projecting at 10? I'm I'm just projecting that you're not taking him. <laughs> so the, that'll be our new standard for the mocks, too. <laughs> right. like, we, we won't say who they're picking. We'll just give you one name. They're not taking Well, if you like guys who hit, like you could go Trevor Larnick. You could go um, – uh, that that would be one guy that I would think that you would you would possibly look at if you if you like uh, if you like guys who hit. Well, you know I like guys who hit. You know yeah. I, I, what I'd like to do. I, I don't know if this is permissible, but uh, my my fantasy football league I've been in for thirty years. It means the most to me, and I, I've been snake bitten for so many years in playoffs. Kyler Murray killed me this weekend, and I and I lost a shootout. So can I draft Kyler Murray and make him play baseball in, in this alternative reality? <laughs> fantasy he, he football. Can't, he can't. He can't drop four touchdowns on me and I lose a narrow shootout. So if I could, if I could do that, I would take Kyler Murray, but I, I, I guess it's probably not going to change you, the outcome of my fantasy football game. Why don't you so, take Matt McClain? No, well, no, I'm not going to do that either. And Kumar rockers out there. I, I'm going yeah. to go. And, and I, I do think we, it seemed like we talked about Kyler for about eight straight podcasts back. When we made the decision. I, I, I still don't fault the A's for doing what they were doing. Cause nobody saw the football blowing up like it did. Um, like you would have been like, like the NFL guys weren't talking about him. He's even a, a first or second round pick going into his, his, the year where he won the Heisman trophy and wound up going number one overall. I, I'm going to go, I, I'm going gut feel here. A guy who I, I thought we, we ranked low at the time, but not through anybody's fault. We just kept getting feedback. Oh, you have him too high on your list. You have him too high on your list. You know, he, he's had some injuries, so he hasn't had a, a true breakout yet. I, I think Jordan Groshans is going to be really good. That was the other guy I was thinking. Um, you know, it's, yeah. he, he can hit for power and average. He can play third base. Um, you know, he, he's been very good in pro ball. You know, when he's healthy, he had an injury that limited him to 23 games in, in 2019, foot injury. Um, in fact, <laughs> this again seems like it was a thousand years ago we're in spring training. The last day I was in spring training, I interviewed Jordan Groshans, which again seems like that was about 2017 now. But, um, uh, no, I think Jordan Groshans can be really good. Again, I think he's another guy like Tristan Casas, who, if we had had a normal season, would have gone out and put up huge numbers. Um, and, uh, you know, the Blue Jays are just, you know, talking about teams that are lo- loaded with infield talent. The Blue Jays are another one. So I, I like Jordan Groshans. So a little, I, I was kind of hoping for Jared Kelnick at number two, but I, I'm happy with, with Casey Mize on my collection of bats and, and Logan Gilbert. I, I like my five picks. All right. So the, Reimagined 2018 draft top 10 picks go like this. Jared Kelnick, Casey Mize, Joey Bart, Alec Bohm, Grayson Rodriguez, Tristan Casas, Matthew Libertor, Logan Gilbert, uh, who went number nine? Gorman. Yep. And number 10, 
Jordan Groshans. So guys, uh, kind of interestingly, guys ranked, there were some guys ranked ahead of some of the players that you took, uh, ranked ahead of them in the current top 100 prospects list that you did not take. Uh, the highest ranked of which is Nick Madrigal. And I just don't know what to do with him, Jason. I, he I would take, I, I would take him 11. I yeah. I mean, that, I, I would in that 11 to 15 range. I, I just, you know, it's funny because it's like, I mean, we're talking about a guy who hit 340. I mean, it was a smaller sample size, but 340 in his big league debut, but yet only had a 745 ops. And I still, I still think he's more floor than ceiling. Um, I think it's fine on this White Sox team that's loaded with guy, offensive talent. And you have a guy who can, you know, hit for average. You know, he's probably not going to have a lot of power, draw a lot of walks, but he's, he's, you know, hit for average, make contact, play good defense. Um, you know, I think he's nice. He's nice for the White Sox team. I just, I, I went for more upside with my picks, but I, I kept wondering if either of us were going to pick Nick Madrigal. And I was, you know, I, I would have considered him at 11 along with the other two guys in our top 50 who Jason's about to mention who um, we didn't draft. Yeah. The, the next highest ranked player that went undrafted uh, kind of similarly in the draft in the actual draft also uh, did not go uh, as early as you would think he might've was Tariq Skubal, who is, was the 255th pick overall. He's number 42 now on the top 100 prospects list. And he's really the big outlier uh, here among the 2018 draft picks who are on the top 100. Well, he was coming back for Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, and had some control issues coming back from it. So he was just kind of a real wild card who. Yeah, no one knew what to make of him at all coming out. Um, you know, once he got into pro ball, it's, it's just been a ton of strikes. His, his fastball is pretty unhittable. You know, I, I said I was telling that pro scout and the pro scout, you know, was more impressed with, with Scooble than he was with Mize, you know, in their pro debuts. Of the 10 picks that you made, none of them uh, in the actual draft, came outside of the first 26 picks. Casas was the lowest pick out of that bunch of 10 that you just picked at number 26. Um, the next player up on the top 100 prospects list from the 2018 class is Alec Thomas, who was a second rounder and the number 63 pick overall. And I really liked him coming out of Illinois. Like I, I If we kept drafting and I was picking 11, which I wasn't, I probably would have t- decided between Scooble and Alec Thomas. I, I just, I, I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to grow into some power. Um, you know, I, I think his upside, I think he's a little underrated too, because he's barely played above low A ball. And again, he's another one of these guys who had, we had a 2020 season, probably would have been in double A at some point, and, and I think probably would have had a really, really nice year. Are you listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo? I'm Jason Ratliff. We were talking about the 2018 draft, and we just redrafted the top 10 picks. Uh, But something else we want to do here is look at that draft class uh, through the lens of high schoolers who are now uh, on the in the 2021 draft class as college players. And uh, Jim, I know you will be working on a story looking at those players and how they've kind of progressed from uh, where they were back in 2018 as high schoolers to where they are now. Uh, why don't you go over some of the the top players uh, that fit that bill? Yeah, well, the, the top four players are the top four college players 
all of whom are in the top five of our current 2021 draft top 100, which just dropped about a week ago, were highly regarded prospects in 2018. It was Kumar Rocker, uh, Vanderbilt right-hander, is number one on our current list. We have a high schooler, Jordan Lawler, at number two, but then UCLA shortstop Matt McLean at number three, Miami catcher Adrian Del Castillo at number four, and LSU righty Jaden Hill at, at number five. And, you know, the, the two pitchers were in my half of the country, uh, Rocker and Hill. Rocker was, was was very famous at the time, just as he is now. He went into the summer before his draft year, the showcase season, as the top-ranked high school prospect in the country. And it's interesting, by the time the draft rolled around, he still had – you know, some first round buzz, but most scouts, I think, considered him the third best high school pitcher in Georgia behind Ethan Hankins, who wound up being a first round pick that year, and Cole Wilcox, who outdueled him in a playoff game that spring, wound up going to college and wound up signing for, for over $3 million this year as, as a third round pick. Um, you know, Kumar, I, I think kind of similar to what he was. He, he was big and physical. Fastball got in the upper 90s. The slider could be a wipeout pitch at times. You know, you, you, you want to see some more progress with the changeup of control. So I think he's pretty similar. You know, Jaden Hill, we had ranked at, at number 78. Um, he was real interesting. He was a, a three-star quarterback recruit um, who broke his collarbone playing football in the fall. So he missed some time in baseball, came back, um, you know, was low 90s up to 95, had a, you know, his changeup was better than his breaking ball. And now, you know, he's he's in the upper 90s. Um, you know, his changeup still his best secondary pitch. He, he switched from curveball to slider. The slider's a lot better. And, you know, and Jonathan, with your two guys, you know, McLean and Del Castillo, how – how similar or dissimilar do you think they are to what they were uh, three years ago? I, I think they're kind of like slightly better versions of their high school selves. Like, so Matt McLean, uh, and we, we ranked him at 54th, he ended up going in the first round. Uh, the Diamondbacks clearly believed in the bat, and I think he's shown that to be true at UCLA. Uh, he's gotten stronger. Um, you know, the arm is better. I think there's more uh, conviction that he can play short. We'll get to see that this spring. And Del Castillo was a guy, you know, we had him tucked into the back end of, of the 200. Uh, the arm has gotten a little bit better. He can really, really hit. But there are still questions about his defense. But the bat is really advanced. I mean, he may be one of the best pure bats, college bats in the in the class, to the point where if he can't catch, I think people would be fine if he were a first baseman and he'll hit enough. Um, but I, th I think they're both kind of similar. It's just, you know, sometimes it's just a question of of doing it, you know, against better competition at a higher level. Um, you know, McLean is, is not that big. So him being able to continue to show that he actually can impact the baseball, uh, I think is an important thing. There's more power there than, than people realize. And he's a plus hitter. I think Del Castillo may end up being a plus hitter when all is said and done. Uh, but they're, you know, I think they are just more mature versions of their high school selves. All right. So that's a look back at the 2018 class, some high schoolers from that draft class who are now uh, some of the top college prospects in the 2021 class. We're going to quickly look back even a little bit further uh, we're going to take a look back at this time in 2015, one, uh, five years ago from now, who were the top prospects 
on each team? Who was the number one prospect on each team? And uh, Jim and Jonathan, I know you guys uh, took a quick look, scanned through uh, the list, and uh, came away with uh, the idea that in general, a lot of these guys turned out to be what, by and large, what we expected them to be. If you run through the list, there are several uh, established big leaguers, all-stars, um, working down the lift, list alphabetically, Archie Bradley, Dansby P. Swanson, Yohan Moncada, Glaber Torres, um, Tim Anderson, Alex Bregman, Corey Seager, Byron Buxton, Aaron Judge. Uh, all of these guys were the number one player on their team's top 30 list at that time. Uh, Joey Gallo, Lucas Giolito. There are some certainly some names that have not uh, panned out uh, quite as well. Victor Alcantara, Tyler Kolick, Alex Jackson. But on some of those teams, if you look through the re- remainder of the top 30 list, there, there you know, wasn't a whole lot to choose from. Um, but Jim, I know you said in general, you felt like looking at this list of players that you kind of got what, what you expected. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at it, I was just looking at the top, the top 100 list when we start kicking this around. And, you know, I, I think Byron Buxton, I mean, we had some lofty grades on his tools, but I mean, Byron Buxton has been a good player when he's been healthy, which unfortunately for Twins hasn't been as much. You know, Corey Seager was number two on the top 100. I think Corey Seager has been exactly what everybody thought Corey Seager was going to be. You know, Lucas Giolito was the interesting one to me, um, you know, and, you know, he was a White Sox. Well, I guess, did he get traded? Yeah, he well, he was with the Nats at the end of the 2000. When did when did he get traded? But he was he was the Nats' uh, number one prospect. Oh yeah, yeah, still. it's weird. It's why I'm sorry. I'm looking at our website and it's got him as a White Sox, which is wrong because it wasn't until the following winter winter meetings. But so Lucas Giolito was with the Nationals. And it was interesting because you, you know the the 2016 season wound up being really trying for him. The, the Nationals had him on the shuttle back and forth to the minors. You started getting questions about his athleticism and could he hold up as a starter with quality stuff? And he wound up remaking himself. But you know Giolito. I think his path was was more circuitous than anybody could have envisioned, but he he's become who he was supposed to be. You know, Joey Gallo was at the top of the list, Tyler Glass now, Yohan Mankata. Those guys have. I mean, I, I think the of the guys who were the highest ranked top prospects in our organization, the guy who's probably been, I guess, maybe fallen the shortest of of what we hoped would be J.P. Crawford, who you know just hasn't. You know, I think we thought he'd be more dynamic with the bat, and he's just been kind of mediocre. You know, he's a real pretty good defensive player, but but hasn't hit like we thought he might hit. At least he's a big leaguer. I mean, you know, there, there are a couple guys on here who, uh, you know, if you go team by team, you're like, oof. Um, and the jury is still out on on some. You know, like, I don't know what to make of Alex Reyes uh, just because of all the injuries. You know, sometimes it's, you know, and it's true. Like, even if you look at a guy like, Ooh, you know, he hasn't really ended up being as great a player as we thought based on where we ranked him. It doesn't mean that we would have picked somebody else. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know that I would have picked anybody else. Maybe Jack Flaherty. Was he, maybe yeah, he, was he, he would deserve to be ahead of Alex Reyes on that Cardinals list. But, uh, you know, and there's still time for Reyes to come back and he did throw at the end of this year. And so that's good, but just, you never know when injuries and things like that are going to occur. Um, but you know, there are some other guys, you, if you look up and down, they're like, well, 
maybe, you know, if the system was weak, then there weren't many other options. Um, you know, JP Crawford is an interesting guy, but so I guess what, when was Aaron Nola still qualified then, or is that, you know, like I have to look to see when that happened. So either Mark always... Appel was your number two Phillies prospect at the time. Okay. So that worked out. That really worked out well for the Phillies. Um, but uh, listen, this is, we say this over and over again. This is why we make the lists. Um, the, we, we don't always get it a hundred percent. Right. And uh, the way you, JP you Crawford has a hit team uh, might, might be other uh, number 21 prospect Reese Hoskins. Oh, it's like salt in the wound there. Reese Hoskins, the guy who I probably got more Twitter noise about than anybody. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's uh, I guess that's uh, the possibility. But uh, I don't want to harp on on JP Crawford because uh, he's been an interesting case just because he continued. You know, he played a lot uh, just because he can really defend. But he is at some point in time is going to have to hit for him to continue to be a starting shortstop in the big leagues. The, the top of that list was very shortstop heavy with Seager at number two, uh, Brendan Rogers at number nine, a guy who's to this point, not uh, fulfilled expectations, still very early for him. But uh, then number 10, Dansby Swanson, Trey Turner, 11, Orlando Garcia, number 12. Um, and then a little further down the list, number 18, Franklin Barreto, and 21 at the time was Alex Bregman, who then quickly vaulted up that list. All right, guys, let's uh, wrap up this week's edition of the Pipeline podcast, as we always do, by answering a question from the mailbag. This week's question comes from Jack Cecil. He says, when getting hitter grades done, what do you guys hear scouts talk about in regard to plate discipline? How does it factor into scouts evaluation to hit? Who are the minor leaguers with particularly strong plate discipline projection? And he adds, I've listened to the podcast for a while and love you guys' work. Respectfully, Jack. That is very respectful. Wow. Thank you, Jack. Flattery will get your question answered on the podcast. Exactly. So, you know, I think there are a couple of things that come into play now. Um you know, uh, there's still an el- a large element where, you know, scouts are looking at the the mechanics of a swing and swing path and, a you know, a feel for hitting and ability to barrel up the baseball, the sort of like watching a player swing the bat and, and do the various parts of the swing work. Um, plate discipline is always something that that gets looked at both by the scout and I think now, you know, there's a lot more data that's used. So whether it's the scout who's filling out the report about the field to swing and, and in reports, there are generally also, you know, ideas about pitch recognition and, rec- you know, seeing breaking pitches and not swinging at pitches out of the zone. Uh, on the analytics side, there's going to be a lot more that that figure into into the those uh, that bits of information as well so it's a a much more complete picture um and there are a lot of guys uh you know who are in the minors who are known for their plate discipline um you know you look at you look at our top four you know our top three hitters 
or Wander Franco, Adley Rushman, and Spencer Torkelson. And you know, Rushman and Torkelson are both you know top of the draft guys who are particularly known for their uh, absolutely amazing ability to uh, to recognize pitches and and work counts and draw walks and and things of things of that nature. So those those are the guys that sort of first pop out in, in, in my mind for that second part of the question. Yeah. You know, it's like Jonathan said, I mean, you, you, when you're looking at hitters, I mean, you're looking at the swing, you're looking at the ability to put the bat on the ball and you're looking at, at the plate discipline. I mean, those are all factors when you're grading the guy's bat, you know, and I, I agree too. I, I think there's a correlation between, pitch recognition and plate discipline. You know, if you're recognizing pitches better, you're not chasing. And, you know, you have guys who can hit for higher averages in the, in the lower minors, um, but maybe they're, they're chasing pitches or not drawing walks. And you wonder how that's going to play at higher levels. Um, you know, I mean, you just look at the, you know, besides the guys Jonathan mentioned at the top of our list, I think Jared Kelnick is going to have excellent plate discipline. Andrew mm-hmm. Vaughn's another college guy with plate discipline. Austin Martin had excellent plate discipline at Vanderbilt. I mean, those, those are three more guys, um, you know, that, that I think, you know, really stand out. Um, so, uh, you know, again, yeah, I mean, you, you're definitely looking at that. I mean, I know, Jonathan, I mean, maybe you do the same thing. Like when we're putting grades on guys, you know, for, for position players, you know, hitting, you know, you, hitting's an easier one, I think, than some of the other grades to do. Cause you kind of look at what they like. I always find myself looking, okay, what's the guy hitting at the level he's at and what's the plate discipline look like. And then, you know, when, what else do I know about him from a scouting standpoint and, and, and kind of put all those together. But I mean, I know when, when we're putting hitting grades on guys, I'm always looking at the strikeout to walk ratio, you know, even, you know, it, it probably means a little bit more to me, you know, especially with age relative to league than, than the batting average does. Yeah, I think I think so. Uh, JJ Bladé is another one I think who uh, will will use very good plate discipline um, to to help him get to the power that he has and, and things of that nature. I think those are the things that you you look at. You know, the, there are times where there are guys who you know draw a ton of walks, but then you talk to scouts and you know they're too passive, uh, so it can go too far in the other direction. Uh, but I think you know. By and large, if you if you've seen it in there, and as you said, they're they're they are putting up numbers where they're at, uh, you know, th- with good recognition, then that's going to continue to work for them. And one thing too, it's interesting that the, the, this goes back to like one of the first years I was working on the prospect handbook, and I was talking to Ben Charrington, who was with the Red Sox at the time, and I think we were talking about Tony Blanco. I don't know if you remember the name Tony Blanco, Jonathan. It was like a a Red Sox slugging third baseman who I think had a cup of coffee in the big leagues. And I, I made some comment to him about Tony Blanco showing good plate discipline in the, I think it was the GCL because he'd drawn a decent amount of walks or something. And he pointed out that that's not really indicative at the lower levels. You can't really look at walk to strikeout numbers as being indicative of plate discipline because when the guys miss at lower levels, they miss by a lot or they can miss by a lot. So like, it's not like you're, you're, you're taking a pitch that's four inches off the black and recognizing that's a ball. The guy's bouncing in the dirt or it's a foot outside and that, you know, you can't just go by numbers. You kind of have to understand the context too. But yeah, it's you know, a good question. Something we definitely take into consideration and scouts take into consideration. Thanks to Jack Cecil for sending that in. You can send your questions to us for the mailbag segment by tweeting them to us, or you can also email them as Jack did to pipeline at MLB.com. Thanks everybody to listening to this week's pipeline podcast. Happy holidays to everyone. We will be back with a 
special year-end podcast next week. Again, happy holidays. Don't forget to look for the Pipeline podcast every week, including next week on MLB.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.